Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome into the NFL on Fox podcast presented by Verizon. I am your host, Dave Hellman. And if you are a member of the Niner faithful, you are probably feeling like your Sunday night was a little bit too short. Unfortunately, somebody did blow the whistle. The San Francisco 49ers layeth the smackdown Sunday night football 42 to 10 over the Dallas Cowboys had a wild, wacky week six Sunday. But that's where it all starts Let's jump into it. If you're new to the show, we call this the Sunday six, the six big storylines that you need to know coming out of the weekend. And we have to start it right there where I just said a Bay area beat down San Francisco beats the Dallas Cowboys by 32 points, 42 to 10. And somehow it didn't even feel that close. We're, we're having bad luck with game of the centuries of the weeks here this season. Last week, it was Buffalo, Miami, a lot of hype, a lot of excitement. Buffalo wins that one by 28. Same story here. Cowboys, so much hype on this game, a divisional playoff rematch. And, and it looked like the varsity versus the JV. So, I mean, to the victors go the spoils. Let's start with the San Francisco 49ers. It's hard to believe, but this was a highly anticipated matchup of NFC elites. The Cowboys coming in at three and one, the 49ers four and oh, they improved to five and oh, one of just two unbeaten teams left in the NFL, just a three point favorite, despite their win in the playoffs the year before, despite their win in the playoffs the year before that, despite all that talent, just seen as a 3.5 point spread in Santa Clara at Levi's stadium on the West coast. But really, this, I mean, I hate to say it, but this game, it felt like you knew where it was going from the very beginning. The Niners take the opening kickoff. They march 75 yards in seven plays. A little bit clunky the rest of the first half. Christian McCaffrey has a fumble. Doesn't look as clean as it could. But even going into the halftime locker room up 21 to 7, it never felt like this game was going to be in doubt. The Niners do what they always do. Brock Purdy. We, we got to figure out a more nuanced way to have a conversation about Brock Purdy. 17 of 24, 252 yards and four touchdowns. The Cowboys vaunted pass rush. Micah Parsons could not touch him. They could not stop his receivers from breaking wide open all over the place. Brandon Ayuk 
so much yak in this game. Four for 58. George Kittle breaks out, has his first big, big day of the season, 67 yards and three touchdowns, completely uncovered on all three of them to the point where he's even joking in the post-game interview, I'm going to feel great tomorrow because Brock found me when I was wide, wide open. I don't know where Brock Purdy stacks up in the hierarchy of NFL quarterbacks. There's a lot going on there. He's the last pick in the draft. He's undersized. His arm strength isn't anything to get excited about. He's got this amazing supporting cast. But as we've talked about, we know from watching Jimmy Garoppolo and several other quarterbacks do this, that it doesn't always look this good. Despite all of the talent, despite having Kyle Shanahan calling the plays, despite having an all-world defense on the other side of the ball, we've seen other Niner teams look less impressive during good seasons than they do with Brock Purdy. Do with that what you will. I don't really care how good you think he is or where he stacks up to the league's elite. All I know is that since he took over as the starter... He operates the Niner offense at a level that none of his predecessors have been able to do. And that's really all anybody should care about because this is the team they have this year. They look like they're going to be a very, very tough out. I know I was just talking trash about games of the century, but it's hard not to look and say, oh, when is that Niners Eagles rematch? It's not for another couple months. Nothing to get too excited about, but they're the last two unbeaten teams left in the league. They're both incredibly talented. Both can beat you a variety of different ways. It's hard not to feel like they are in a class of their own. And we know that now because the Cowboys were very widely seen as one of the few teams that could challenge them. And the Cowboys didn't even look like they were in the Niners area code, which is especially impressive when you consider the Bay Area has like eight area codes. You don't even need to be right there in Santa Clara. You could be anywhere nearby. No, at times I'm not even sure it looked like the Cowboys made it to the stadium. That's that's the flip side of this. Let's let's bring it in. Cowboy fans, this is a safe space. I worked for the Dallas Cowboys for quite a long time. I am very familiar in disappointments like this, and I'm I'm not going to be mean to you, but we have to have a, a very tough conversation about quite a few things. Again, this is the second loss for the Dallas Cowboys. One of those much more inexplicable and maybe even forgivable because it was so shocking to the Arizona Cardinals, but the Cowboys made no bones about what this was. That's what we were even saying. Oh, maybe they lost to Arizona because they were too busy looking forward to San Francisco. Well, this is the one that was circled in red pen. This is the one that they spent all week saying was a measuring stick game. Of course, nobody wins a Super Bowl in week five, but the Cowboys were not shy about the fact that this is the team they cannot get past. This is the team they know they're measuring themselves against. And you tell me what part of this Cowboys team showed up. Maybe the kicker, Brandon Aubrey, hitting a 50-yard field goal to start the second half. That's about all I got. It's about as forgettable a performance as I can remember from Dak Prescott. Those who know my work know that I have defended him many times over the course of his career. Nothing doing here tonight. Three interceptions on the night, a couple of those when the game was well out of reach and you're just throwing to get back into it. But even when this game was close, the Cowboys offense, completely lifeless. They punt on their first two possessions of this game. Tony Pollard fumbles in their own red zone. They punt again. It takes them until late in the first half to put together a touchdown drive, which while pretty nice, 
ultimately led nowhere. Fred Warner and Dre Greenlaw, the Niners linebackers, felt like they dominated this matchup from the beginning. Felt like C.D. Lamb, Brandon Cooks, Michael Gallup couldn't get any separation against this secondary as has often been the case when the Cowboys and Niners play, it felt like the San Francisco defense knew the Cowboys game plan before they even got to the line. Questionable play calling by Mike McCarthy. I already mentioned Tony Pollard's fumble, one of his worst games as a Cowboy, which is a rarity. He's been such a bright spot, but in his first year being the true unquestioned starter, eight carries for 29 yards and a big, big fumble in this game. I thought the Dallas defense at least held up its end of the bargain. You look at the end of the game and say 42 points, and maybe you don't think so, but the Dallas defense flustered Purdy early in this game. They forced a turnover on the goal line. Some questionable penalties, some questionable decision-making by guys like J. Ron Curse and Donovan Wilson, but while the game was still in reach, I thought the Dallas defense at least did enough to keep this close, but... The Dallas defense is supposed to be this awe-inspiring strength of the team. Pass rush is supposed to be completely overwhelming. The the, the box score says Brock Purdy got sacked. I'll be honest with you. I watched the whole thing attentively. I don't even remember it. I don't remember Purdy ever feeling like he was uncomfortable in this game. The Niners ran for 170 yards, and we already mentioned Maybe the Cowboys missed Trayvon Diggs even more than we already thought they would. 49ers receivers just running open in this game, as always seems to be the case. Not necessarily exclusive to the Cowboys, but with a pass rush like this, you thought it might look a little bit more difficult. It does not. So now the soul searching begins, and and here's the tough thing for the Cowboys. I said this on Twitter during the game. It's an unfortunate spot to be if you are the Cowboys. Because one game does not make a season. It doesn't break a season. Mike McCarthy said that immediately afterward. And he's right. Teams that go on to accomplish things in the postseason lose games like this all the time. It does happen, I promise you. The 2020 Tampa Bay Buccaneers lost a game 38-3 to during the regular season. It's possible to overcome a beating like this, but the Cowboys are in the unique circumstances of being... America's team being the franchise that has now gone 27 years without any Super Bowl success, playoff utility after playoff utility, haven't made an NFC championship game since the 95 season. We know all that stuff. And the problem is that is what they're going to be measured against. That is what they are going to be compared to. And now you have this on your resume that says, when you go up against the team that you're likely going to meet in the NFC playoffs, this is the result. We'll see how they do against Philadelphia. Their first game against the Eagles is still a month away. Plenty of time to rebound, plenty of time to make other statements, but this loss is going to be a blinking red light on their resume for the rest of the season. Even if they score some big wins along the way, this will just be there like a gnawing reminder. Oh yeah, remember when you went up against the class of the conference and they humiliated you on national TV? It is what it is. I don't say that to poke fun at the Cowboys or their fans, but this is the type of stuff that the the issues that compound upon themselves when you have this much futility, three interceptions in a do or die game for Dak Prescott. This is the type of stuff that's going to remember. It's going to fuel every talking point around the Cowboys from now until they reach an NFC title game. And if you're a sad Cowboy fan this morning, I don't blame you for feeling like that's unlikely to happen. A lot of football left to be played, but I think you are completely justified in that attitude coming out of week five. 
And for the San Francisco 49ers, like we said, what, what a statement guys truly looking like the team to beat in the NFL. And I look forward to seeing a game plan that can get the better of them. Cause I'm just not sure it exists. As I alluded to though, the 49ers are not alone among the unbeaten relax Eagles fans. I can hear you. Yes. The Philadelphia Eagles also improved to five and oh, albeit not in as visible or as dominant a fashion as San Francisco, but all these wins count the same. Philadelphia and San Francisco looking like the class of the NFC. The Eagles travel out to the West Coast. It goes way better than it did for their division rivals, the Cowboys. They get the better of the Rams, 23 to 14. I'm joined now by the guys who called the game, Kevin Burkhart and Greg Olson. And guys, the thing that stands out to me about this 78 offensive snaps for the Eagles in this win, almost 38 minutes of possession for Philadelphia. And it's not to diss the Eagles defense because they've been good for most of the year, but I'm starting to wonder, is the Eagles best defense, this incredibly efficient ball control offense? The Rams, I think, uh, for the most part, they executed what they wanted to do. They limited the explosive plays. The downfall of that is the Eagles had the ball for the entire game, and at the end when they needed to stop, they had nothing left, the Rams on D. Yeah, they just got worn down. They couldn't get off the yeah. field. And, you know, you can't give enough credit. You know, Jalen Hurts and A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith, today Dallas Goddard, they got weapons all over the place. But we said it a million times, this offensive line is the engine that makes this entire thing operate. I mean, for them to dominate the game, 78 snaps from start to finish, the load that they bear, they must have run 15 quarterback sneaks, piles, guys. It's it's pretty remarkable what they're able to do up front and just what makes them such a hard out. Which, Greg, going along, building off that, we talked about this before the game. You know, a couple missed opportunities in this game for Philly, two of five in the red zone. But is there a point where you stop worrying about that and say, okay, even if we're not playing as well as we could be, how many teams can even deal with us? Yeah, I think you always want to get to your best. You know, we mentioned early in the show, you know, Nick Sirianni said, you know, we don't want to be at our best through four weeks. He doesn't want to be at his best through five weeks. He wants to be at his best come middle to end of December when they're making a run trying to jockey for playoff seeds. But at some point, you, you, to beat a really good team, to beat the San Francisco's of the world, to beat the, the Kansas City's, the Buffalo's, the teams that they're going to see down the road, you got to capitalize. You can't get down there and continue to struggle in the red zone. Again, that's something they'll continue to work on, continue to harp on. But today they were flat out dominant, and, uh, and it showed. Absolutely a very convincing win in L.A. KB, Greg, I appreciate the time. Safe travels, guys. I think Greg makes the perfect point about this Eagles team, which is just how adaptable they are to literally any situation. We talked about it. They just go ball control, ball control, ball control in this game. They held the, the ball for what felt like 75% of regulation. They can run all over you. We've seen them win with 150, 200 rushing yards. DeAndre Swift has often been the story of their wins. They can absolutely chuck it, though. If they have to, this is a this can be, anyway, when they want to be, a very quick strike offense. They move 75 yards in just four plays at the end of the first half in this game for a go-ahead touchdown going into halftime, which love the aggressiveness, by the way, Nick Sirianni, to know that you're going to get a touchdown from the one and a half yard line. Absolutely love it. 
Jalen Hurts had all the time in the world to throw the ball in this game when he wanted it. Thought the Eagles did. Even knowing how good the Eagles offensive line is, did an incredible job of not letting Aaron Donald be part of the narrative of this game. A.J. Brown has another huge day. Dallas Goddard actually gets in on the act. I think the joke is that it's only A.J. Brown and, and Devontae Smith that ever do anything, but Goddard with some big, big plays here to remind people that, hey, there's more to this thing. I just think they are so versatile. They can do whatever they want. And yeah, it hasn't always looked pretty. I, I'm I'm struggling to reconcile it because... I, clearly, you would love to see a juggernaut look like it at some point or another. That's why it's so fun when a team like the 49ers crushes their opposition and and kind of announces themselves. We haven't quite seen that from the Eagles to this point. They beat the Patriots by five. They beat the Vikings by six. They do get a, a little bit of a lopsided win against Tampa, but even that, they score 25 points. They beat Washington in overtime. And here they just kind of go anaconda mode and slowly just squeeze this game away against the Rams. It hasn't looked jaw dropping. Consider me somebody who doesn't really care. And I'm not just saying that because they're winning games. It's what they've been doing in these games that they win again. Who can stop them running the ball? We joke about the brotherly shove, but it's a hell of an ace up your sleeve to know that it's third or fourth and two or less. You're going to get the first down. It, it's it's funny to joke about, but that is a huge trump card when you're talking about big money moments and winning football games. It's incredibly impressive. Again, the passing game, incredibly explosive. I just don't think there are more than... I don't know, three teams in the NFL that have the personnel to stop the Eagles. As long as the Eagles don't just have a horrific game. If you think back to 2022, the Eagles only regular season loss when Jalen hurts was healthy and in the lineup was a night against the commanders where they turned the ball over four times. That's the type of miscues that it takes to get the best of this team. So I'm really not bothered by the, the lack of a statement win. I have a feeling it'll come. They'll play a game where they they have the right matchup on the outside or they'll play a game where they get the right turnover. The, you know, the, the To think about the Cowboys, the defensive touchdowns or the, the special teams plays that can make a 14-point win look a hell of a lot more dominant because you're tacking points on, I think it's going to come. I think the Eagles and 49ers are in a class of their own in the NFC. And then on the other side, I, of course, you're going to throw the Chiefs in there because they've earned it. But in terms of on-field play, maybe Miami. But the Eagles, by virtue of their record and all the different ways they can beat you, absolutely belong in the top tier. And I don't know if really anybody other than San Francisco belongs in the conversation through what we've seen. I guess we'll throw Miami in there as well. But Miami, regardless of the opposition, Miami has done something the Eagles have not, which is lose. So Eagles, some some people are going to hate on you for not making it look as pretty as it could. It could not be me. I think they've earned the benefit of the doubt. Again, one loss with their starting quarterback healthy in the last, I don't know, basically calendar year. Plenty impressive for me. And that's why these two NFC juggernauts seem to stand alone. I'm not going to get too hyped about a game that's in December, but man, I can't wait to see the Eagles and 49ers go at each other.
Let's take it out to the desert for item number three on the Sunday six. The Cincinnati Bengals keep their season alive. They don't just outlast the Arizona Cardinals. They beat them fairly convincingly, 34 to 20. I'm joined now by the guys that called the game, Kevin Kugler and Mark Sanchez. And guys, am I crazy or did that look like the old Joe Burrow, the healthy one that was out there? dotting it up against the Arizona Cardinals. Well, Dave, that's the question that every Cincinnati Bengals fan has been hoping for an affirmative answer to. So, Mark Sanchez, I'll ask you, is Joe Burrow's calf healed? Is he back to normal? I'd say he's probably right around 90%, maybe 95, because you saw him be able to be his old self and and calm, cool Joe in the pocket, but elusive in the pocket. Extend plays. He scrambled for a first down, which we haven't seen for the majority of this young season. So Joe Burrow, to me, looks like if he's going to operate at 90, 95%, we'll take that. This team looks like it's back on track. Now having Jamar Chase put together a day like he did with 15 catches, a franchise record, three touchdowns in those 15 catches, that's going to help yeah. any quarterback look good. Well, number one in your programs, number one in your hearts, and they should have been number one on this Arizona's defense for an all-points bulletin, right? Like, don't let that guy beat you. But he found a way, and part of that was the creativity in their offensive scheme. Whatever it took to get him the football, they sure did. But speed kills. Arizona battles as they have all season long, but they fall short in this one. Cincinnati remains to be seen if this will get them back on the AFC championship game track. But they're going to take their second win right now, a 34-20 win in the desert. Thanks a lot for the time, guys. I really appreciate how giddy Mark Sanchez seemed about seeing the old Joe Burrow. Because that's what this was. And I, I'm sorry if I sound a little bit too excited, but this isn't, this isn't Cincinnati eking out a win by any means necessary like the one against the L.A. Rams a couple weeks ago. This was the Joe and the Bengals that we've gotten used to over the last two years. As soon as he torqued his entire body and really stepped in to the deep throw to Jamar Chase early in this game, 63 yards for, for a touchdown, my eyebrows went up. And then as Mark Sanchez just alluded to, he scrambles for, for a big gain. Then I just was like, this, this is what we've been waiting for. I was talking with Mark Schlereth just a couple weeks ago about how do you get healthy when playing re-aggravates your injury? But this is as healthy as Joe Burrow has looked since the season started. I hope it continues because, A, it's just so much fun to watch the guy when he's on. Nobody is more calm, confident in the pocket, eluding pressure, running when he needs to, stepping up in the pocket, evading people. And then, yeah, he doesn't have the strongest arm in the NFL, but he's got one of the prettiest deep balls in the game when he's on his stuff. It changes the entire outlook of the AFC if the Bengals are playing like this. And it changes how much fun it actually is to watch the Cincinnati Bengals, because be honest, even that week three win against the Rams was a slog compared to this. And yes, it is the Cardinals. We know the Cardinals are scrappy. We know the Cardinals give everybody a game. They are still talent depleted. I have a feeling Jamar Chase catching 15 passes for 192 and three without T Higgins there distracting from from the game plan. I don't know if that's the type of thing that happens against a roster with a little bit more talent than the Cardinals. I think there's only so much that scheme and scrappiness can do and a highly motivated Jamar Chase and a highly healthy Joe Burrow apparently might be too much for that. Jamar Chase famously last week said, I'm always effing open. 
says after this one, 7-Eleven, baby. 24 hours a day. Sure as hell looked like it. We don't want to get too carried away with the Bengals, not because of Joe Burrow, but because of what's in front of them. Glad you saved your season, guys. Seattle's up next. Niners after that. The Buffalo Bills after that. We're about to find out just how real the Bengals are. And beating Arizona does not announce them as anything other than potentially a lot more fun to watch. But this is what we've been waiting for. This is what Bengals fans have been praying to see since Joe first went down in practice all the way back in August. I can only hope it holds up because it makes them that much more entertaining to watch and the AFC that much more predictable. So Joey B welcome back. Hopefully it's the first of many such performances. Prime Joe Burrow made his debut on Sunday, but he wasn't the only one item number four on the Sunday six, three big debuts that I want to get to that of Cooper cup, Jonathan Taylor, Jamison Williams, three names. You need to know three guys that got their first playing time of the season in week five. Let's start Cooper cup. You know him well, NFL offensive player of the year, a couple years ago, Super Bowl MVP starts the season on IR with a leg injury. He returns in the loss to Philadelphia, looking every bit like the guy we remember eight for 118. He and Puka Nakua. Yeah. Remember the rookie had a plenty productive day, even with cup on the field, they combined for 15 catches, 189 and a touchdown Puka Nakua scoring a phenomenal touchdown just before halftime. Oh, and by the way, Tutu Atwell scored in this game, just had the one catch for nine yards, but that is a trio that I'm awfully excited to watch. And like I said, you're a liar. If you saw that coming before the season, happy to have Cooper cup back in the fold. Let's move on to Jonathan Taylor, the new $42 million man in Indianapolis. Very, uh, a limited day. We'll call it, which makes sense. Taylor spent the first month of the season on PUP. He gets six carries for 18 yards, a slow start, but ironically his backup Zach Moss continuing a really strong start to the season, 23 carries for 165 and two touchdowns. If Moss keeps keeps this up, we know Jonathan Taylor is one of the best big play running backs in the NFL. I just need Anthony Richardson to stay healthy. My guy, Anthony Richardson has now lost or now left three games early due to injury. The season opener gets a concussion later in the season, left this game with a shoulder injury. We don't know the severity of that yet, but with Anthony Richardson's running ability and now Jonathan Taylor back in the fold and Zach Moss emerging a little bit, this has the potential to be a very, very fun backfield. Please, Anthony Richardson, just stay healthy, please. Wrapping this up, Jamison Williams also returning to the field. He had been suspended for six games for a gambling violation. The league reduces it to four a week and a half ago. Hey, Jamison, former first round pick. Welcome back to the field. Two games earlier than expected. A little bit anticlimactic. Two receptions for two yards. The reason I'm mentioning it, though, I'm so high on what he could be. And it doesn't have to be as a volume receiver. The, Ram- or the Lions have guys that can do that. We know all about Amon Ross St. Brown, which, by the way, the Lions scored 42 without him against Carolina on Sunday. But Sam Laporta is emerging as a volume receiver, a guy Jared Goff clearly seems to trust. I just need Jamison Williams to deliver a couple of times per game on that game-changing speed that he had at Alabama. That's what got him drafted in the first round in the first place. We didn't see it on Sunday. 
But I guarantee you, Lions offensive coordinator Ben Johnson, Jared Goff, those guys are going to find a way to get him a shot at a big play at least once or twice a game. And I, for one, am really excited about it. So, J-Mo, welcome back. Item number five on the Sunday six is something I'm going to call panic or patience because lost in the big Sunday night football beatdown was a very surprising, hectic day of upsets in the NFL. The Steelers down the Ravens. The Jaguars beat the Bills over in London. The Jets defeat the Broncos. The Colts beat the Titans. And the Saints blow out the New England Patriots. If you're keeping score, that's that's five upsets, varying point spreads. But in the eyes of Vegas, all five underdogs find a way to win this game. Let's start it out with the most shocking one of all, which is the Pittsburgh Steelers beating the Baltimore Ravens 17 to 10. And as depressed as you have to be, if you're a Ravens fan, I'm going to preach a little bit of patience in this scenario. This is absolutely a horrendous loss. Please don't mistake me. Ravens had control of this game throughout the afternoon. They, they basically controlled it for 50 of 60 minutes and they let it slip away. The Steelers outscore them 14 to nothing in the fourth quarter, which ironically, that's not even two touchdowns. The Steelers got two field goals of safety and a touchdown. George Pickens breaking it open with a 41 yard touchdown late. But the reason I say patience for the Ravens is this, this just had all the makings of a wonky loss. And where was it on the road in the division? Should they have lost? No, but Mark Andrews and Rashad Bateman both dropped wide open touchdowns in this game. Zay flowers loses his footing on a deep ball from Lamar Jackson, where he had the coverage beat. There were a few things that happened in this game that would have put it out of reach. And the Ravens could be four and one with a comfortable handle on the division. Instead, Mike Tomlin goes into his bye week on top of the AFC North, just like everybody predicted. But I'm still, I'm not worried about the Ravens. Mark Andrews quoted after the game saying, we need to wake up. And I would agree with that. The point totals for the Ravens haven't reflected the talent level, even with the injuries. But if I'm Baltimore, I look at it and say, we've been in control of the games we lost, at least at some point. And they're two and one in the AFC North, which, as I mentioned before the weekend, they got all the division road games out of the way. Next time they play Cleveland, Cincinnati, and at the end of the season, Pittsburgh, it will all be in the comfortable confines of their home stadium. It feels really gross, but I'm not worried about the Baltimore Ravens in the big picture. I think they'll find a way to bounce back. Hopping over to London, where the Jags upset the Bills 25 to 20. I'm a little bit panicked about the Buffalo Bills, and I'm going to tell you why. It has nothing to do with Josh Allen. It has nothing to do with the offense. Those guys are all perfectly fine. They're going to be able to keep pace with anybody they play. Took the Bills a minute to wake up, which, hey, Sean McDermott, if you're going to London to play a team that's been in London for a week, I would leave earlier. I would give my team a full week or at least close to it to acclimate to the time change, even being an East coast team flying five hours overseas to a new country is a bit of an adjustment. I think you should probably give your team more than two or so days to get used to it. Considering the Jags had been there since the week before, but what's got me panicked about the bills is that they lose Matt Milano in this game. Unfortunately, the all pro linebacker seems to have a a fractured leg and he could also have a ligament tear 
too soon to say for sure, but it, it sounds like he's done for the year. That's back-to-back weeks that the Bills have lost a Pro Bowl, all-pro caliber player on their defense. Tredavious White goes down with an Achilles last week. Now it's Matt Milano. I know they get Von Miller back eventually, soon. He was in uniform for this game, though he didn't play. But I just I worry about this veteran roster. We know Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer have had issues with injuries. Josh Allen even had an issue with his elbow last year. I worry that the injuries start to become too much. And it's not to say that we should write the bills off or say that they're a different team, but this stuff starts to acclimate. We see it all the time. It's a long season and to lose players of this caliber for the season so early, it makes me nervous. It makes me nervous on the flip side, Jacksonville Jaguars potentially starting to look like the offense. I thought they could be. We'll get back to them later for the, for the time being, I'm just a little worried about the personnel that the Bills are losing so early in the season. Let's take it up to the Mile High City where, yes, the Denver Broncos should be panicking. They fall 31-21 to the New York Jets. A fumble six at the very end of the game maybe makes it worse, look worse than it was, but giving up 230 rushing yards and losing to the New York Jets at home looks pretty bad no matter what the final tally was. It's not that the Broncos had high expectations coming into this season, but even with tempered expectations, they should absolutely be panicking. No organization in the NFL has taken bigger swings than the Broncos the last two seasons. We know the mega trade for Russell Wilson. We know what they paid him. We know about bringing in Sean Payton, the expectations that that brings, the pressure on him to get something out of Russell Wilson. And to be fair, to Sean Payton, Russell Wilson has been so much better this year than he was last year, but Denver's still one in four and their one win is against the Chicago bears who were the poster child for dysfunction through the first month of the season. The Broncos by any measure you want to use the worst defense in the NFL through the first five weeks, 234 rushing yards allowed in this game. And maybe Zach Wilson wasn't amazing, but for the second straight week, he looked viable. And this time he gets the win. If all of this wasn't bad enough, if, if the football aspect of it wasn't bad enough, there's obviously the narrative part of it, which is that Sean Payton called Nathaniel Hackett's coaching job in Denver last year, the worst one in history he said, we're going to do the opposite of everything that happened last year. Well, Nathaniel Hackett came in to your building and beat you with Zach Wilson, the Jets offensive coordinator named a captain for this game by the Jets gets a game ball after this game. Nathaniel Hackett has won more games in Denver stadium this year than Sean Payton has. That should tell you all you need to know. That's why the Denver Broncos should be panicking. Not so much that the expectations were high, but nobody saw a performance this poor through the first five weeks of the season. You supposedly have the quarterback. You have one of the most accomplished head coaches in the NFL. And yet the Broncos, if they're not the worst team in the league, they could make an argument for it. And that was what the hiring of Sean Payton was supposed to be avoid or was, was supposed to help you avoid. We just haven't seen anything close to resembling that Nathaniel Hackett riding out of Broncos country with a big time bulletin board material win. Yes, I would be panicking if I were in Denver. Tennessee Titans fall on the road 23-16 to their division rival, the Indianapolis Colts. 
I'm preaching patience mainly because what's there to panic about with the Tennessee Titans? If anything, I think the Titans have given a decent accounting of themselves through five weeks, just because I don't know anybody that had incredibly high hopes for them to begin with. They go on the road as a favorite for the first time this season. They lose, which sounds about right. This team defies expectations. So if you expect them to win, you're probably going to be disappointed. I do think it's fun to see DeAndre Hopkins have a classic DeAndre Hopkins game, still proving that he can be a productive guy this late in his career. If anything, I'm always so impressed with the Tennessee Titans defense, but you just didn't see it from Mike Vrabel's guys in this game. 193 rushing yards from the Colts. Anthony Richardson exits with a shoulder injury. Gardner Minshew picks up the slack perfectly. Only 155 yards on the day, but when you run for 200 on the ground, who really needs it? I am curious, and I don't say this because Ryan Tannehill's been awful, but with Ryan Tannehill where he is in his career and the Titans in this, the epitome of purgatory, just the complete middle ground of the NFL. I do think there's a point where the Titans turn to either Will Levis or Malik Willis, either one of their young quarterbacks that they've drafted the last couple of years. I doubt that happens right now. I'm sure that's a second half of the season sort of conversation because the Titans are mathematically right there in a very wide open AFC South, but I'm preaching patience because what other choice do you have? If you had high expectations for the Tennessee Titans, I don't know what else to tell you. Finishing it up where we're definitely going to panic. It doesn't matter that the expectations were low. The New Orleans Saints crush the New England Patriots 34 to nothing. If you remember, this is a week after the Patriots lose 38 to three to the Cowboys. So Basic math tells me the Patriots have now been outscored 72 to three in their last two games. So yes, we're going to panic. Even knowing that we expected the Pats to finish last in their division. This is, this is just not acceptable levels of play from anybody, let alone this proud organization with six Lombardi trophies and arguably the greatest coach of all time. And Bill Belichick, at least one of them, I, I, I don't know what to say. The Patriots were one and a half point favorites in this game. I was silly enough to pick them to win because I thought there was still enough there on defense. I thought maybe Mac Jones plays a better game at home than he did on the road. None of that came to fruition. Another pick six for Mac Jones, New England offense looking positively hopeless. Mac Jones gets benched for a second consecutive week. And if that wasn't an indictment enough, the New Orleans Saints offense, even without the defensive touchdown, actually looked viable. If you've watched a lot of Saints football this year, you know that's not easy to do. Saints have struggled for points this season. Putting up 34 on a proud New England defense is not a bad look. I'm not going to be the hot take guy that calls for Bill Belichick's job. I think it's silly when there are six banners hanging in the building that are very directly tied to him, that's not going to be me. But yes, this is panic worthy stuff. When you're getting outscored by 30 in consecutive weeks, last week was the worst regular season loss of bill Belichick's career. This week is the second worst largest shutout loss, largest home loss. You're setting all sorts of records in the bad kind of way. If this keeps up, 
even Bill Belichick's job security or his future becomes a point of conversation. People have been trying to have that conversation since last year. And now New England is one in four for the first time since before Tom Brady got the starting job. Even knowing that there's going to be an adjustment period after the GOAT leaves your organization, this is beyond the pale. Not saying the Patriots are going to turn it around on a miracle run or anything, but you got to be competitive or, or something drastic is going to happen. It's time to panic when you're getting outscored 72 to three over the course of two weeks, which is not something I ever thought I would associate with the Bill Belichick Patriots. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Let's wrap up this week's Sunday six with a good old fashioned rookie watch. Lots of amazing rookie performances across the league yesterday. None more impressive than that of Houston quarterback CJ Stroud. Yes, I know the Texans lost to Atlanta. Yes, I know Desmond Ritter threw for 300 and actually had the game-winning drive. But C.J. Stroud just continuing to look like a franchise quarterback, continuing to look like the class of this rookie quarterback draft class, at least through five weeks of the season. He breaks Dak Prescott's record for rookie attempts without an interception. He has thrown 160, 186 passes without an interception so far this season. I don't think you can say enough about what the guy's doing. I'm joined now by Mark Slareth and Brandon Gauden, who had the call in Atlanta. And look, guys, I want to talk about what CJ Stroud has done this season. I, like I said, Desmond Ritter gets the last laugh in this game, but with a chance to put together a go ahead drive, CJ Stroud does exactly that leads the Texans downfield touchdown past the Dalton Schultz to go ahead in the game's final minutes. What did you see from him in one of the first big pressure spots of his NFL career? I, I think with CJ Stroud, I mean, you're talking about a poised young football player and you talk about being on time, anticipating throws, throwing the ball accurately, never making the same mistake twice. And then you see that last drive, put it together they're running the football you get the opportunity to run a little double move on the on the breaking in breaking route and go and throws it perfectly for the touchdown to Schultz I mean that's the kind of competitiveness that's the kind of poise you want from any quarterback then to think he's a rookie is just pretty amazing yeah you can say all you want about some of the conservative play calling bottom line is five games no interceptions for CJ Stroud to start his NFL career pretty impressive I'll say it one more time for my Falcon friends at home. Atlanta gets the win. Desmond Ritter gets the last laugh as well as hushing up some of his critics, but phenomenal performance by CJ Stroud, who just continues to impress me every week. Moving on another rookie who it feels like we talk about every week, but deservedly. So Jalen Carter continuing to look like the second coming of Aaron Donald. Yeah, I said it, whatever this guy's off to an incredible start defensive rookie of the year. 
feels like a foregone conclusion. I know it's laughably early for that, but when you're leading the league in sacks as a de- as rookie sacks, excuse me, when you have the most sacks of any rookie in the league, three and a half through five weeks as a defensive tackle, it's going to be a tough case to beat. He he wrecked shop against the Rams. Two tackles for loss, two sacks, two quarterback hits. Just continues to be a force. And this is the first month of his career. It was it was a little premature to say Aaron Donald. I'm sorry, but this is what you were expecting from a guy who most people th- saw as the best prospect in last year's draft class. I still can't believe the league let Philly get him all the way down at number nine overall, but here we are. He is looking dominant. He is looking every bit of who we thought he might be across the line. We already mentioned Puka Nakua again, a guy who has, who he belongs here every week happened again this week, seven for 71 yards and just the prettiest touchdown at the end of the first half. Matthew Stafford and Puka Nakua continue to make beautiful music. It's exciting that even with Cooper Cup back in the lineup, they still found plenty of use for Puka. I don't think that's going to change. Six catches, 57 yards, and a touchdown. I think the competition is going to be a little bit stiffer for offensive rookie of the year, but a big, big day for Puka Nakua, who... I don't. So that doesn't put him over 600 yards for, for for the year. Oh, shucks. He's only at 560 through five games. Awfully impressive. Speaking of guys who are going to contend for offensive rookie of the year. Do you realize Devon Achan was inactive for the season opener against the Chargers from not dressing on game day to what he's doing now? hovering around 500 rushing yards for the year. He only needed 11 carries to do it against the New York Giants. 151 yards and a touchdown. Third straight 100-yard performance. Obviously, he had 200 against Denver a couple weeks ago. Yeah, I mean, sickos like me who really follow the draft, who watch too much college football, we know what HM was coming out of Texas A&M, but to go from not dressing for the opener to where he is now, incredibly impressive, pairing up with Raheem Mostert. I think the Dolphins' running game is low-key more terrifying than their passing game, and that says a lot when you consider who Tua Tungavailoa is throwing to. Between Achan and Pukunakua, two guys that came absolutely out of nowhere, and I don't think it's a stretch to say they are two faces of this 2023 season. Awesome, awesome stuff. I want to keep it with the running backs. I want to shout out Ty J Spears. I said a little while ago, Tennessee Titans. I think it's fair to say one of the they're one of the more forgettable teams in the NFL this season. But I, I do want to shout out a really nice performance from another rookie, the running back out of Tulane. Titans drafted this past spring. His first big big day. I mean, he's he's been a contributor in this offense, but definitely his best day of the season so far. Seven carries for 34 yards and a really nifty touchdown. Adds another four catches for 35 yards. Nice little 69 yard day, and he gets into the end zone. Just one. Hey. We're giving, we're giving everybody some shine here. It's not just the big obvious names. I see you, Ty J Spears, right out of Tulane University in New Orleans, Louisiana. Let's move on with a real storybook performance. Joey Porter Jr. gets his first career interception. What better way? Take you back to the draft. Joey Porter Jr., widely thought of as a first-round pick. He slips to the top of the second. Oh, but... 
fate intervened. He winds up a Pittsburgh Steeler. His dad, Joey Porter, a legendary Steeler. He winds up with his dad's team and he gets his first career interception against Lamar Jackson in a division upset win. Yes. Highly deserving of a shout out. Joey Porter Jr. We love to see it. Took a couple weeks to, to get your name on the board, but hey, doing it in style, picking off the MVP Lamar Jackson, a frustrating day for the Ravens, a really exciting day for Joey and his family and the Steelers. Let's wrap it up. Sam Laporta Jr., another name we should all be getting really familiar with. Lions making easy work of the Carolina Panthers. Sam Laporta, three catches, 47 yards, and oh, by the way, two of them go for touchdowns. They both happen in the first half, which just kind of turns this into a laugher. Laporta's second touchdown makes it a 28 to seven game and Carolina never really came close after that. I've been on the record saying this. You, you just, you don't see rookie tight ends drafted outside the top 10 or 15 make this kind of impact. You know, maybe your, your Kyle Pitts had 1100 yards as a rookie. He's a top five pick thinking back TJ Hawkinson also with the lions, another guy who got off, got off to a great start. Another big pick Sam Laporta drafted in the second round. The differences between college and pro are so stark. You just don't see guys hit the ground running like this. And damn, if Sam Laporta is not one of the most trusted options in that Lions offense, as I said, making differences week after week, a guy that Jared Goff looks to on third down, a guy that Jared Goff looks to in the red zone for him to be doing it as a second round pick this quickly. And this F this seamlessly, I know Iowa's tight end. You as still a whole nother level of impressive Sam Laporta jr. Definitely one of the coolest stories of the season so far. Definitely worth a mention that wraps this thing up for a busy, busy week five Sunday. Keep it right here. We've got some bonus coverage. As always, we've got another edition of Ask Glazer with Jay Glazer. I I brought some special attire for that one as requested. Stick here for that. Until then, we will be back tomorrow. We've got Raiders Packers Monday Night Football. We will be here to recap all of that. We will get you the latest from around the NFL as always. Find us on Spotify, find us on Apple podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts from. Appreciate it guys. I'm Dave Hellman. I will catch you next time. Welcome into another edition of ask Glazer with Fox sports NFL insider, Jay Glazer, a formal well, here's the deal. Here's edition. The deal. Here's the deal. Last week, last week, I'm glad that we, we have this relationship now that we, we consider each other's feelings because last week I said, man, you got to dress a little bit better for the, you know, I'm coming in hot. You got to dress a little bit better, but then you show up like this. I've got my Sunday best on, but now you're not doing me. I know. Right. Like it's, this is a tux. I can't beat that. So we got to get in the middle. Get tails next week. Okay. We'll just you got to get him. You got to get like from dumb and dumber, dumb and dumber yeah, with the top hats yeah, and the yeah. canes. You got to get the Lloyd we'll Christmas just continually. Yes. I, if you want me to, I own a tux. I will bring in a real deal tuxedo. Mm-hmm. Maybe not next like week. Like a tux from like the 70s or a tux from now? No, it's it's like a tasteful tux. Not from like something about Mary? Like no, like not, not quite. <laughs> like, yeah, get the velvet yeah, bow tie right, right. or whatever. Yeah. All right. Enough about that. You guys, you guys have questions. People we've like, shut up, just answer our football questions. We've got the guy that can answer the questions. That's what we're here to do. Not, nothing more interesting to me than what happened over the weekend. A question from J.R. Perez. He wants to know about Jonathan Taylor and I'm curious as well about as contentious a relationship Mm -hmm. as I can remember goes to 
He's back, and oh, by the way, he's got a contract yeah. extension. Everything seems happy. What what exactly happened in well, Indianapolis? So let me back up. I was at Colts training camp when he had stepped away. I actually went in to give a mental health talk to the Colts. So shout out to them that they're doing a lot um, for, for sure. trying to, to end the stigma. Um, but that was right in the middle of it when it was going down. And at that time, in my mind, there was no way this relationship could get put back together. It was so contentious and bad because that's look, what it seemed they, like, they, they, you know, and it was, it was really with Jason Taylor and the owner with Jim Mersey and man with uh, Jonathan Taylor and, and Jim Mersey. And it just didn't look like anything could happen. So credit here to Jim Mersey because it was Jim Mersey who realized, you know what, I've got to be the one to help repair this relationship. And he has. He's worked at it trying to show them, show them some love and show them how much they want in there and at least put something back together. Because I think they also looked at it like, man, we have something special here in Anthony Richardson. If we could put something like the Jonathan Taylor pre-injury back there also, we could really have something special. So Jim Irsay did. He, he's got to give him some credit for kind of being able to check his ego. And you got to give Jonathan Taylor credit for being able to be open to it, to check you know, his hurt feelings also. And in the end, once they saw him on Wednesday and said, okay, he's healthy again, let's get him done long-term. And they got him done long-term to a good deal, to a deal that most of these other running backs, I think, would have jumped at. It seems like it worked out well for everybody, which, mm -hmm. like you're saying, month and a half ago, I figure there's yeah. there's no way, absolutely no way. Which, a week and a half ago. But they also <laughs> a week and a half ago. Look, yeah. look, here's the thing. Every time I came on Fox and I reported on Jonathan Taylor, and it was week one, I said, look, there was a Tuesday trade deadline. There is no more Tuesday trade deadline. They're going to throw that in the, in the ocean, and they're open to trading him. However, the Colts, their dream scenario is that Jonathan Taylor stays with the Colts, and he can pair with Anthony Richardson. I then talked about him again last week because he was coming off the pup, and I said they don't really have trade offers out there for Jonathan Taylor for what they're looking for. They were looking for a lot. But once again, their perfect scenario was that this would be repaired and Jonathan Taylor would remain a cult with Anthony Richardson. So they got what they wanted there. That's, I think it's a best case yeah. scenario for everybody that kind of plays into this question from at ghost Vader 50 solid um, trade deadline still a little ways away. That's a while. It's, it's, it's on Halloween, but this also seems like the time in the season where teams are maybe having to face facts about where they are in regard to maybe wanting to deal pieces. So this person is specifically asking about the Vikings trading Kirk Cousins, no. but in light of maybe if that's too far-fetched, are there any names that are up on your radar as far as teams right. that might be willing to part with assets so, and things no, like what, that? Here's what really happens. Really comes down to like the week or two before the trade deadline. You start looking at teams saying, okay, this team, they're packing it in. They're going to start looking for the future or and with, Usually with players who are in the last year of their contract. Right. We're a team saying, okay, we're not in it, so let's get something for this guy because he's going to leave anyway. And that's where you've seen, you know, the Von Millers and people like that trade at the trade deadline. And, and you know, it's been a lot of, you know, who else the Rams trade for in the uh, last o couple of years? Odell. Ago, was. Odell was, was uh, when, I don't know, but he's free. I think he was free, right? Oh. No, 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 no. They did trade it for was the a trade. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For okay. the Browns, that's right. Uh, I've been hitting that a lot, so I can. <laughs> um, but usually it's with, uh, you see these pass rushers uh, with like Chubb from, from Denver, right? Denver to Miami, you yeah. You see a guy that you're like, okay, we're not going to be able to resign him. But it usually happens really late, not right now. And then you also start looking, like, look, I'll tell you this. Like Sean Payton called me this morning and said, look, there's stuff out there that, you know, we're looking to start trading guys off. We're not. 
We traded one guy. It was just one guy we were looking to trade. We're not looking to trade all these guys on offense. We're not fielding calls for all these guys on offense. Now, let's see what happens as, you know, this continues. And if the Broncos don't play well, do they change their mind? But it usually... It takes a couple couple more weeks yeah. for teams to decide that. It is a great, great tidbit. Keep an eye on guys who are in the last year of their contract. Mm-hmm. Third question from Mary. Jalen Ramsey, too. I was another guy with the Rams. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Mary Davis says, how's Aaron Rodgers? Sure as heck looks like he's doing really well based on the yeah. Instagram post. I mean, guys already doing yeah. rehab stuff. I mean, he couldn't have had surgery more than two, three weeks ago. It looks pretty encouraging. It looks encouraging what he's doing right now, but we have... I can't tell you when he's going to run. I can't tell you when he's going to cut. I can't tell you when he's going to be able to plant. He can't just, you can't just have an Aaron Rodgers go out there and say, okay, I can run a 40 or I can run a straight line. It's going to be a lot more, right? You have to have an Aaron Rodgers out there who's just going to be able to, what makes Aaron so great, one of the things that makes him so great is his ability to extend the play and, you know, things break down. It's like a sec, the first play goes away and it becomes the second play and, you know, defense drives him crazy. So he's not just a drop back pass who's going to sit there. And I know everybody in Aaron wants to say, okay, he'll be back. He'll be back this season. He's working to be back this season. But there's still a lot of variables, variables to see whether or not that could happen. You're, you're still a little bit away. All right. Last one from Los Ballin, which it's the, it's the nasty side of the business, unfortunately. It is still early in the season, but are there any situations in terms of the hot seat, in terms of coaches? I don't do hot seat. I'll tell you why. Because most of the time, Everyone gets it wrong. So every year you'll hear hot seat and, you know, there'll be 15 guys in the hot seat. Right. And six will get fired. Well, that's 11 other families that got affected and think of that. And, and look, I have strong relationships with a lot of, of, lot course, of coaches yeah. and their families and see them. And I have over the years seen how much it affects their kids. And like these kids don't sign up for that. So I, what I always do, I report when a guy is going to get fired. If he gets fired, I don't ever speculate that he is because also look, look at, okay. Ron Rivera. Carolina. Yeah. Everybody's sure he was getting fired. And then he put all his chips to the table, became Riverboat Ron, and then went all the way to the Super Bowl. Right. right? Marty Schottenheimer, for years, every year, he was supposed to get fired. That was like eight years in a row, right? And it didn't happen. And so all those years, I care about being right. I don't want to, as a reporter, the number one thing you should always concentrate on is being accurate. And if you're just throwing stuff up there, that, well, this guy's on the hot seat or that guy's on the hot seat. Yeah, you could see right now, but I don't know what's going to happen. Look, Jim Fossil, when I was covering the Giants back in the day, same thing. He was done. And then he did this. I'm pushing my chips to the table, and we're going to win every game here on out. And they did. And they go to the Super Bowl, and he ends up saving his job. So I hate the hot seat stories because it, too often they're inaccurate. No, it's a completely valid point. Well, and who are you going to ask about specifically there? I mean, I, it's interesting you bring that up. I think the question is born. I think there's two situations that people are curious about right now. Washington coming off of not a wonderful performance yeah. against Chicago and Las Vegas looking not particularly promising right now. Right now. And, and Washington, that's it's valid because you have a new owner. Right. Right. And, and even if, look, a team could be doing great. Usually we have a new owner and they're going to want their own people in regardless. Sure. But it's up, up to Ron Rivera to show him, no, I'm the guy that you need. Which, so, and that's, I mean, I get why people ask the questions. You know, people but, always do. I just don't ever, no, and, and years ago, and I, again, I stopped years ago and I think it was the Marty Schottenheimer thing. It was like every year for eight years, Marty didn't get along with the GM up there, up there AJ Smith. And every year they put up the guy who was getting fired and he would be like 13 and three and just, and, and, and 
it was just like it, it was a constant thing. Sure. And um, man, I just saw how much kind of war on him, his family, and all that. But you you saw, like I said, Ron Rivera, people had him in Carolina, and all of a sudden it's Riverboat Ron. It's totally different. And I'm trying to think that like this. There was one year they were talking about about John Harbaugh. If he list, if he lost a certain game, it was reported. If he lost a game in the middle of the season. We were doing a military show, so it was around Veterans Day. If he lost that game, he could be fired after that game. He won the game. John Harbaugh was coached for the next eight years there. Like, So that's why I hate the hot yeah, seat. I mean, look, coming yeah. from Dallas, it was an annual conversation yeah, yeah. around Jason Garrett. I, and, and somebody that's hapless right now is going to wind up putting four or five wins together when yeah. we get to the second half of the season. I get it. Something to keep an eye on. Awfully early for it. Jay Glazer, I dressed up for you, man. I appreciate the time. Thank what you, you so much. <laughs>